Book One, Chapter Fourteen of Arachne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Arachne by George Ebers. Book One, Chapter Fourteen. Chapter Fourteen. Outside the door of the tent. Herman was trying to banish Althea's image from his mind. How foolishly he had overestimated last night the value of this miserable actress, who as a woman had lost all charm for him, even as a model for his arachne. He would rather have appeared before his pure friend with unsightly stains on his robe, than while mastered by yearning for the Thracian. The first glance at Daphne's beloved face, the first words of her greeting, taught him he should find with her everything for which he longed. In simple, truthful words, she reproached him for having neglected her to the verge of incivility the evening before, but there was no trace of bitterness or resentment in the accusation, and she gave Herman little time for apology, but quickly gladdened him with words of forgiveness. In the opinion of her companion, Chrysilla, Daphne ought to have kept the capricious artist waiting much longer for pardon. True, the cautious woman took no part in the conversation afterward, but she kept her charge in sight while she was skillfully knotting the fringe into a cloth, which she had woven herself. On account of her favorite Philotus, it was well for Daphne to be aware that she was watched. Priscilla was acquainted with life, and knew that Eros never mingles more arbitrarily in the intercourse of a young couple than when, after a long separation, there is anything whatever to forgive. Besides, many words which the two exchanged escaped her hearing, for they talked in low tones, and it was hot in the tent. Often the fatigue she felt after the sleepless night bowed her head, still comely in its unwrinkled face, though she was no longer young. Then she quickly raised it again. Neither Daphne nor Herman noticed her. The former at once perceived that something was weighing on the sculptor's mind, but he did not need any long inquiry. He had come to confide his troubles to her, and she kindly lightened the task for him, by asking why he had not gone to breakfast with the Pelicinians. Because I am not fit for gay company today, was the reply. Again dissatisfied with fate? True, it has given me small cause for contentment of late. Put in place of fate the far-seeing care of the gods, and you will accept what befalls you less unkindly. Let us stick to the mortals, I entreat you. Very well, then. Your Demeter does not fully satisfy you. A discontented shrug of the shoulders was the reply. Then work with twofold zeal upon the arachne. Although one model I hope to obtain forsook me, and my soul is estranged from the other. Althea? she asked eagerly, and he nodded assent. Daphne clapped her hands joyfully, exclaiming so loudly that Chrysilla's head sprang up with a jerk. It could not be helped being so. Oh, Herman, how anxious I have been. Now, I thought, when this horrible woman represented the transformation into the spider with such repulsive accuracy, Herman will believe that this is the true, and therefore the right, ideal. Nay, I was deceived myself while gazing. But, eternal gods, as soon as I imagined this arachne, in marble or chrysalophotine work, what a painful feeling overpowered me. Of course, he replied in an irritated tone, the thirst for beauty to which you all succumb, 
would not have much satisfaction to expect from this work. No, 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 Daphne interrupted in a louder tone than usual, and with the earnest desire to convince him. Precisely because I transported myself into your tendency, your aspirations, I recognized the danger. Oh, Herman, what produced so sinister an effect by the wavering light of the lamps and torches while the thunderstorm was rising? The strands of hair, the outstretched fingers, the bewildered, staring blue eyes. Do you not feel yourself how artificial, how unnatural it all was? This transformation was only a clever trick of acting, nothing more. Before a quiet spectator, in the pure, truthful light of Apollo, the foe of all deception, what would this arachne probably become? Even now, I have already said so. When I imagine her executed in marble or in gold and ivory, beauty? Who would expect to find in the active, constantly toiling weaver, the mortal daughter of an industrious dyer in purple, the calm, refreshing charm of divine women? I, at least, am neither foolish nor unjust enough to do so. The degree of beauty Althea possesses would entirely satisfy me for the arachne. But when I imagine a plastic work faithful to the model of yesterday evening, though I had seen a great deal with my own eyes, and am always ready to defer to riper judgment, I would think, while looking at it, this statue came to the artist from the stage, but never from nature. Such would be my view, and I am not one of the initiated. But the adepts, the king, with his thorough connoisseurship and fine taste, my father, and the other famous judges, how much more keenly they would perceive and define it. Here she hesitated, for the blood had left Herman's cheeks, and she saw with surprise the deep impression which the candid expression of her opinion had produced upon the artist, usually so independent and disposed to contradiction. Her judgment had undoubtedly disturbed, nay, perhaps convinced him, but at the same time, his features revealed such deep depression that, far from rejoicing in so rare a success, she patted his arm like an affectionate sister, saying, You have not yet found time to realize calmly what yesterday dazzled us all, and you, she added in a lower tone, the most strongly. But now, he murmured sadly, half to himself, half to her, my vision is doubly clear, close before the success of which I dreamed, failure and bitter disappointment. If this doubly refers to your completed work, and also to Arachne, cried Daphne, in an affectionate desire to soothe him, a pleasant surprise will perhaps soon await you, for Myrtilus judges your Demeter much more favorably than you yourself do, and he also betrayed to me whom it resembles. She blushed slightly as she spoke, and, as her companion's gloomy face brightened for a short time, went on eagerly, and now for the Arachne, you will and must succeed in what you so ardently strive to accomplish, a subject so exactly adapted to your magnificent virile genius, and so strangely suited to the course which your art has once entered upon. And you cannot fail to secure the right model. You had not found it in Althea. No, certainly not. Oh, Herman, if I could only make you see clearly how ill-suited she is, in whom everything is false, is to you, your art, your only too powerful strength, your aspiration after truth. You hate her, he broke in here in a repellent tone, but Daphne dropped her quiet composure, and her gray eyes, 
usually so gentle, flashed fiercely as she exclaimed, Yes, and again yes. From my inmost soul I do, and I rejoice in it. I have long disliked her, but since yesterday I abhor her like the spider which she can simulate, like snakes and toads, falsehood and vice. Herman had never seen his uncle's peaceful daughter in this mood. The emotions that rendered this kindly soul so unlike itself could only be the one powerful couple, love and jealousy, and while gazing intently at her face, which in this moment seemed to him as beautiful as Dallas Athena, armed for battle, he listened breathlessly as she continued. Already the murderous spider had half entangled you in her net. She drew you out into the tempest. Our steward Gross saw it in order, while Zeus was raging, to deliver you to the wrath of the other gods also, and the contempt of all good men. For whoever yields himself to her, she destroys, sucks the marrow from his bones like the greedy harpies, and all that is noble from his soul. Why, Daphne, interrupted Chrysilla, raising herself from her cushions in alarm, I must remind you of the moderation which distinguishes the Greeks from the barbarians and especially the Hellenic woman. Here Daphne indignantly broke in. Whoever practices moderation in the conflict against vice has already gone halfway over to evil. She utterly ruined. How long ago is it? The unfortunate Meander, my poor Ismene's young husband. You know them both, Herman. Here, of course, you scarcely heard how she lured him from his wife and the lovely girl who bears my name. She tempted the poor fellow to her ship, only to cast him off at the end of the month for another. Now he is at home again, but he thinks Ismene is the statue from the temple of Isis, which has gained life and speech, for he has lost his mind, and when I saw him I felt as if I should die of horror and pity. Now she is coming home with Proclus, and as the way led through Pelusium, she attached herself to our friends and forces herself in here with them. What does she care about her elderly traveling companion? But you, yes, you, Herman, are the next person whom she means to capture. Just now, when my eyes closed, but no, it is not only in my dreams. The hideous gray threads which proceed from this greedy spider are continually floating before me and dim the light. Here she paused, for the maid Stephanian announced the coming of visitors, and at the same time loud voices were heard outside, and the merry party who had been attending the breakfast, given by the commandant of Pelusium, entered the tent. Althea was among the guests, but she took little notice of Hermon. Proclus, her associate in Queen Arsinoe's favor, was again asserting his rights as her traveling companion, and she showed him plainly that the attention which he paid her was acceptable. Meanwhile, her eager bright blue eyes were roving everywhere, and nothing that was passing around her escaped her notice. As she greeted Daphne, she perceived that her cheeks had flushed during her conversation with Herman. How reserved and embarrassed the sculptor's manner was, now to his uncle's daughter, whom only yesterday he had treated with as much freedom as though she were his sister. What a bungler in dissimulation! How short-sighted was this big strong man and remarkable artist! He had carried her, Althea, in his arms like a child for a whole quarter of an hour at the festival of Dionysus, and, in spite of the sculptor's keen eye, he did not recognize her again. What would not dyes and a change of manner accomplish? 
or had the memory of those mad hours revived and caused his embarrassment if he should know that her companion the Molessian nano with whom he had feasted with her on oyster pasties at canopus after she had given the slip to her handsome young companion was queen arsinoe perhaps she would inform him of it some day if he recognized her yet that could scarcely have happened he had only been told what she betrayed to him yesterday and was now neglecting her for daphne's sake that was undoubtedly the way the matter stood how the girl's cheeks were glowing when she entered the obstacle that stood between her and hermon was the daughter of archias and she fool that she was had attracted hermon's attention to her no matter he would want her for the arachne and she needed only to stretch out her hand to draw him to her again if she found no better amusement in alexandria now she would awaken his fears that the best models would recall her favor besides it would not do to resume the pleasant game with him under the eyes of philippus and his wife who was a follower of the manners of old times the right course now was to keep him until later standing at proclus's side she took part gaily in the general conversations but when myrtilus and philemon had joined the others and daphne had consented to go with philippus and thyone that evening in order after offering sacrifice together to selene to sail for pelusium althea requested the grammateus to take her into the open air before leaving the tent however she dropped her ostrich feather fan as she passed hermon and when he picked it up whispered with a significant glance at daphne i see that what was learned of her heart is turned to account promptly enough then laughing gaily she continued loudly enough to be heard by her companion also yesterday our young artist maintained that the muse shunned abundance but the works of his wealthy friend myrtilus contradict him and he changed his view with the speed of lightning would that this swift alteration had concerned the direction of his art replied proclus in a tone audible to her alone both left the tent as he spoke and hermon uttered a sigh of relief as he looked after them she attributed the basest motives to him and daphne's opinion of her was scarcely too severe he no longer needed to fear her power of attraction though now that he had seen her again he better understood the spell which she had exerted over him every movement of her lithe figure had an exquisite grace whose charm was soothing to the artist's eye only there was something piercing in her gaze when it did not woo love and while making the base charge her extremely thin lips had showed her sharp teeth in a manner that reminded him of the way the she-wolf among the king's wild beasts in the Panaeum gardens raised her lips when any one went near her cage daphne was right ledska would have been infinitely better as a model for the arachne everything in this proud creature was genuine and original which was certainly not the case with althea besides stern austerity was as much part of the biamite as her hair and her hands yet what ardent passion had he seen glow in her eyes the model so long sought in vain he had found in ledska who in so many respects resembled arachne fool that he was to have yielded to a swift and false ebullition of feeling since myrtilus was again near him hermon had devoted himself with fresh eagerness to his artistic task while a voice within cried more and more loudly that the success of his new work depended entirely upon ledska he must try to regain her as a model for the arachne but while pondering over the how 
He felt a rare sense of pleasure when Daphne spoke to him, or her glance met his. At first he had devoted himself eagerly to his father's old friends, and especially to Thyone, and had not found it quite easy to remain firm when, in her frank, kindly, cordial manner, she tried to persuade him to accompany her and the others to Pelusium. Yet he had succeeded in refusing the worthy couple's invitation. But when he saw Philotus, whose resemblance to the king, his cousin, had just been mentioned by one of the officers, become more and more eager in his attentions to Daphne, and heard him also invited by Philippus to share the nocturnal voyage. He felt disturbed, and could not conceal from himself that the uneasiness which constantly obtained a greater mastery over him arose from the fear of losing his friend to the young aristocrat. This was jealousy, and where it flamed so hotly, love could scarcely be absent. Yet, had the shaft of arrows really struck him, how was it possible that the longing to win Ledska back stirred so strongly within him that he finally reached a resolution concerning her? As soon as the guests left tennis, he would approach the Beamite again. He had already whispered this intention to Myrtilus, when he heard Daphne's companion say to Thyone, Philotus will accompany us, and on this voyage they will plight their troth, if Aphrodite's powerful son accepts my sacrifice. He invariably looked at the pair, who were intended for each other, and saw Daphne lower her eyes, blushing, at a whisper from the young Macedonian. His blood also crimsoned his cheeks, and when, soon after, he asked his friend whether she cared for his companionship, and Daphne assented in the most eager way, he said that he would share the voyage to Pelusium. Daphne's eyes had never yet beamed upon him so gladly and graciously. Althea was right. She must love him, and it seemed as if this conviction awoke a new star of happiness in his troubled soul. If Philotus imagined that he could pluck the daughter of Arceus, like a ripe fruit from a tree, he would find himself mistaken. Hermon did not yet exactly understand himself, only he felt certain that it would be impossible to surrender Daphne to another, and that for her sake he would give up twenty Ledskas, though he cherished infinitely great expectations from the Beamite for his art, which hitherto had been more to him than all else. Everything that he still had to do in tennis, he would entrust to his conscientious Bias, to Myrtilus and his slaves. If he returned to the city of weavers, he would earnestly endeavor to palliate the offense which he had inflicted on Ledska, and, if possible, obtain her forgiveness. Only one thing detained him, anxiety about his friend, who positively refused to share the night voyage. He had promised his uncle Arceus to care for him like a brother, and his own kind heart bade him stay with Myrtilus, and not leave him to the nursing of his very skillful, but utterly unreliable body-servant, after the last night had proved to what severe attacks of his disease he was still liable. Myrtilus, however, earnestly entreated him not to deprive himself, on his account of a pleasure which he would gladly have shared. There was plenty of time to pack the statues. As for himself, nothing would do him more good just now than complete rest in his beloved solitude, which, as Hermann knew, was more welcome to him than the gayest society. Nothing was to be feared for him now. The thunderstorm had purified the air, and another one was not to be expected soon in this dry region. He had always been well here in sunny weather. Storms, which were especially harmful to him, never came at this season of the year. 
Myrtilus secretly thought that Hermon's departure would be desirable, because the slave Bias had confided to him what dangers threatened his friend from the incest Biamite husbands. Finally, Myrtilus turned to the others and begged them not to let Hermon leave Pelusium quickly. When, at parting, he was alone with him, he embraced him and said more tenderly than usual, You know how easy it will be for me to depart from life but it would be easier still if I could leave you behind without anxiety. And that would happen if the hymeneal hymns at your marriage to Daphne preceded the dirges that will soon resound above my coffin. Yesterday I first became sure that she loves you, and, much good as you have in your nature, you owe the best to her. Herman clasped him in his arms with passionate affection, and after confessing that he, too, felt drawn with the utmost power toward Daphne, and urging him to anticipate complete recovery instead of an early death, he held out his hand to his friend. But Myrtilus clasped it a long time in his own, saying earnestly, Only this one frank warning. An arachne like the model which Althea presented yesterday evening would deal the past of your art a blow in the face. No one at Rhodes, and this is just what I prize in you, hate imitation more. Yet what would using the arachne on the pedestal for a model be, except showing the world not how Hermon, but how Althea imagines the hapless transformed mortal? Even if Ledska withdraws from you, hold fast to her image. It will live on in your soul. Recall it there, free it from whatever is superfluous, supply whatever it lacks, animate it with the idea of the tireless artist the mocking, defiant mortal woman, who ended her life as the weaver of weavers in the insect world, as you have so often vividly described her to me. Then, my dear fellow, you will remain loyal to yourself, and therefore also to the higher truth, towards which every one of us who labors earnestly strives, and, myself included, there is no one who yields hammer and chisel in Greece who could contest the prize with you. End of Book 1, Chapter 14